listening to Simmering Thoughts, a weekly podcast where host Ryan Akers welcomes you to sit back and enjoy slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. Our anthropology series continues this week as Ryan is joined by Colleen Sharp of the Theology Gals podcast. We'll be discussing man being created male and female. How does that affect society? How does it affect the church? Before we begin that discussion, you have just enough time to grab your Bible, find yourself a comfortable chair, maybe even something to drink, and enjoy this episode of Simmering Thoughts. Welcome back to Simmering Thoughts. My name is Ryan Akers, and I am the host of the program. Uh, Tonight we have one of my good friends from Twitter. Once again, that seems to be the place that most of my guests come from. Uh, But this is also someone who's helped me quite a bit with the podcast and with ideas and finding ways to, to help get the program out to folks and to make it better as well. Her name is Colleen Sharp. And she is the host of Theology Gals. And if you don't listen to podcasts other than this one, or if you don't listen to a podcast that sounds like it's just for ladies, I encourage you to listen to this podcast because it is good for everyone. They have a lot of fun and it is also really good information and they make you think while you listen. And that is always good for us. So I encourage you to check that out before you even get to hear from her on this episode. uh, Go ahead and go bookmark that right now. Uh, And I want to have her uh, take a moment and introduce herself a little bit more. So, um, yeah, my name is Colleen Sharp, as Ryan said, and and I host Theology Gals. And I've been married to my husband uh, almost 24 years. We're celebrating our 24th anniversary this summer. And we have four sons that are between 16 and 22. So, and I guess that's about all the main things about me. <laughs> that is a busy house with that group. Yeah, you can you can imagine our grocery bills. <laughs> yes, you know, unfortunately, four, four I can. sons, four teenage and young adult sons. <laughs> oh my goodness! Thankfully, my son is only nine, and his pretty much his diet is peanut butter sandwiches and McDonald's hamburgers, and not a whole lot else. He just doesn't have a big variety yet. Uh, he's getting there. But he's kind of limited. He's he's interesting on his uh, peculiarities. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, give him a few years. It'll come. We say yeah, if like food comes in our house, yeah, yeah, they they start to eat anything available to them. <laughs> when you're hungry enough, you'll eat. That's what I think. Uh, <laughs> well, right. One thing that I thought was interesting as we were uh, discussing offline, uh, both of us happen to be music majors. And uh, I'm, it'd be interesting as we go through the episode today to see, uh, I, I'm wondering in my mind how much some of our music training may play into our perspective, experiential perspective in our topic today. Uh, because in music, you have to deal with pretty much whoever is in the room, uh, no matter who they are. And with our series lately, we have been looking at anthropology and how, how as humans we relate to God, how we relate to our purpose and how we relate to each other is our next part. We really haven't gotten into that yet. We've talked about work. We've talked about the fall. We've talked about uh, creation itself and our purpose. But now we're going to turn it just a little bit, and we're going to now start about talking about some relationships. In this particular episode, we're specifically going to look at relationships between the genders, male and female. And there is a constant churn on Twitter and on Facebook and social media and the blogosphere and really in the podcast world as well on the relationship between the genders, both inside the marriage and in society at large and also in the church. For right now, I think we may, depending on how the conversation goes, kind of keep the church for a separate conversation maybe at another time as we look at the covenant community. But today we're really looking at the interpersonal part of males and females and how we relate to each other through creation, through the fall, and even uh, living as redeemed persons in the world, uh, how we deal with that. And, uh, you know, there's there's always that churn. Right now, there's a huge churn in terms of the place of leadership available to women within the church or the way that looks. It's been 
especially the last two weeks. It has absolutely exploded on Twitter uh, and on the blogs and on the podcast world. I've heard already, I think, four podcasts the last week or so that were on just that. And uh, a lot of words are spilt over that. Uh, So what we want to look at is specifically man and woman and how our creation makes us a little bit different. And so for there, I tend to start with a big softball and let somebody run for a little bit. And so I'm going to do just that again uh, because it is an easy place to start and kind of introduce into the topic. And then we can get to the weeds a little bit later as we go. So if you could... Uh, let's take a jump back into Genesis 2 and talk about man and woman in the garden. Uh, and I know right there we're talking already about a couple that is specifically together. And so we're going to start there and then we can work out to culture at large now uh, and how that adjusts things. But could you lay the groundwork for man and woman? What, what are the differences we get from a theological standpoint and from a creation standpoint? Well, Ryan, I think... Uh, looking at at Genesis 2 specifically, since you mentioned that, and kind of in verse 18 and on, at just to kind of see what happened in the story, and I'm sure most of your listeners know that, that God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And then he he created Eve, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm scrolling down because there's some stuff that happens in between there. But um, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall be one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Wow, this, this is so, this is very difficult Um and, and I think it's, it's very difficult because of the current debates. And the reason I say that, because you're talking specifically about society, and we see here that, she, that the woman was made as a helper, right, mm-hmm. for, for Adam, that Eve was made as a helper for Adam. And, and right now, it, with all of the debates that are going on, I think this is exactly one of the things that people are trying to figure out, because I think at least in my mind, I have a clear picture of what it's supposed to look like in the church, manhood and womanhood. Mm-hmm. I have a clear picture of what it's supposed to look like in the marriage. Yes. But what does it look like um, in society? Um, from this passage, I'm not sure. I mean, just to be to be honest, because I... I don't think we can say like in society, then this means that women are just out there to be helpers for men in society, because this is in the context of a a marriage relationship. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this passage specifically? I would tend to agree with that, that this is, this is so specific to husband and wife. And uh, it's interesting who does the leaving to me. It has always caught my attention that the man is the one who leaves to go to his wife. And so often in society, we, we think of the woman's there to help the man and, and, and she comes to him, right? No, that's not what the scripture says. It says the man leaves his parents and goes to his wife and the two then become one flesh. And it's, it's interesting to me that that's the way it's put because so often especially in what's cooked into Western society, specifically say the last couple hundred or so years as a, uh, a thought of what ought to be and what has been and what needs to be preserved is almost the idea that the woman is there uh, to, to, to supplement the man and to fill out his holes basically uh, to, to fill him up. And it's, it's, I don't, I don't get that from this passage. I get that they're supposed to be helping each other. Uh, and you know, she's helping him and he goes to her. That's a very different look than we get from some of the, uh, more, I don't want to say stay it because it, it is a little bit of that, but really that just that traditional picture of, you know, my grandparents era where uh, 
quite literally my grandfather would sit in one room and while my grandmother was in the other side of the house having to pass through the room he's in call for her to go get something in a third room and she would have to go through his room to get it and then come back to him and that's just to me that's not being a helper that's not being um that's not being a pair that are working towards something. And, you know, we we talked about in the creation episode uh, and also in the work episode that man is meant to tend. Man is made to, to have dominion over the earth. Notice it doesn't say over each other. Uh, and <laughs> we are to make, we are supposed to be fruitful in our work. And if she is only serving him, then is she just a created being a, a lesser than created being? Whereas if they're working together, they're equal, uh, at least in terms of, of how they are as a matter of being, they're equal. They work differently. They function differently. Uh, as a general rule, uh, it's, you know, you look at society and as a general rule, men react to one situation slightly different than the general rule of how a female reacts to the same situation. Even giving the same training, uh, a female doctor will pick up cues differently than a male doctor will in the same exact situation. And I think some of that is personality, but I think some of it is also just the way we are wired uh, as a gender, the way that, that we are wired from our nature. Now, the question I've always wrestled with is how much of that is from our fallen nature and how much of it is from our original nature, uh, which may be a different discussion. But uh, having that equality of creation, that both are created from the hand of God. You know, man is, is formed out of the dirt. And yes, woman is formed from man, but both are crafted by the hand of God for a purpose and for fruitfulness. And so there's an equality of task, even though the tasks look in different directions. Well, you, you see that, that a lot of times I, I raised four boys and boys sometimes tend to be, and this is obviously generalizations because yes. you're going to find different sorts of men and women and personalities, but boys are going to be a little bit more rough, you know, and, and girls are going to be a little bit more tender, but I think you even see that with adults, uh, we had talked on our podcast, somebody had asked on a question and answer episode, somebody asked us, how do you think those differences are, you know, visible in society? Mm-hmm. And I thought of uh, when there's a, a lost child in the store, he sees a woman and runs to her before he runs to a man yeah. because she's going to be a little bit more tender and sweet. And, and even the kid gets a sense of that. It's, it's a woman who bears the child it's a woman who nurses the baby mm-hmm. um and things like that and i think that that's purposeful uh you know how that all works out it kind of makes me think of a research yeah. study i read once uh, and i don't remember the, the source of this at all i would have to do some work to find it but i remember reading this and it struck me as absolutely hilarious at the time because i had not yet had a child Uh, It was right in the process as we were in the process of getting to having a child. We just weren't all the way there yet. And uh, I read the study and it it talked about the differences between men and women, specifically in when a child is with their male parent versus their female parent, how far away the parent allows the child to get before the parent ropes them back in. And that difference, uh, it was something like five to ten feet that the woman would keep the the child inside the ring and the man would push the child outside of the ring and say, go and just let them play out in the distance, kind of keep a loose eye on them basically, and then bring them back uh, if they got too far. But that there was a, a, a significant, and this was across cultures. This wasn't just Western culture. It was a worldwide study where they had gone and looked at this. Uh, and it was really interesting to, read how all that played out and to think about uh, the different parenting styles and really even sometimes the different teaching styles uh, that I see as a teacher between male and female and just as a general rule. And there are some female teachers that are much more, you know, kind of push you out the door, let you go out and figure things out on your own. And some are much more of that directing, nurturing type. Uh, And both are necessary in that process. 
Well, I heard a, a guy that wrote a book on fatherhood talk about um, when his kids were little and his son, his sons decide they're going to go um, build this ramp. You know, they're like six and eight years old. They're going to build this ramp to, and they're going to ride their bikes up this ramp and do jumps. And mom's first thought is, do you got your helmet and your knee pads and, and all of this stuff? And dad's like, wait, we got to make that ramp bigger, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. and and one thing he said is, but both of those things are good and necessary. So it, it works out in a really in a beautiful way it when does. it works well. When we're doing it well and when we're uh, aware that that's something that we may do, it works really well. And uh, it's it's interesting the difference in in how I watch my child, and you know, as a male and as somebody who works in education in a room and basically a building full of females, there's three adult males in our building, uh, in the entire staff. One's the principal, one's the head of maintenance, and the other's the music teacher. With that. Uh, you know, I see the differences in, in talking to the different moms and, and almost all of the staff are already moms or are about to be new moms. We've had a lot of new babies this year. And uh, so, you know, as we as we watch, as I've watched that happen and play out, even at recess, the difference in how I observe a recess and how the other staff members observe a recess is different. Uh, I'm, I'm much more likely to get involved in the game as I walk through and just take a moment to play a game with them. Uh, and I'm also much more likely to make them solve the problem or I shouldn't say that because the, the whole faculty does that, but I'm much more likely to be, all right, what do you say? All right, what do you say? Go figure it out as opposed to giving ideas for them to figure it out. And it's a different process. Uh, and with my son, we also I get to see the difference of how they do child care with their own children and the difference of how I take care of my child after school. Because my wife commutes a long distance. She drives almost an hour a week or an hour a day one way. And so for her to get out of school and to get back home, it's kind of late. So I have a couple of hours of dad time with my son. And oftentimes it's you go get to play. And I'll be here, I'll keep an eye on you, and we're all good. And there's so many places where I see that the, you know, the kids are growing up and there are always at least one eye and usually two eyes of a parent on them 24-7. You know, even, even when they're in their room, we have ways to monitor them. Uh, and they don't have that, that freedom time. And that's something I've, I've intentionally set up for my child. And I think partially because of that study I read, uh, it kind of clued me into, hey, there's something to this that, you know, the kid needs to experience things without me being in charge of it. Uh, I think about uh, softball and, and baseball and basketball, soccer practices. I go down to the park for practice to drop him off. And most of the parents don't drop their child off and leave. They drop their child off and sit there and watch. So the child's under the eye of their parent the entire time they're in practice, whether the parent's a coach or not. And I think that's not necessarily healthy for the child because they it's an opportunity for them to hear other voices and they're still under the eye of their parent. And it, it changes the way they participate in the sport. Whereas I'll drop my son off and if I'm not the coach, the coach knows what they're doing. They know how to get a hold of me. I'm good. I'm going to leave so that my child can be able to be free during the practice and not worry about dad's eyes on him and just worry about the coach. You, you know, it's interesting that you talk about that because uh, I know that sometimes children will act a very specific way in front of their parents that they won't when their parents are not around. And I've even seen this in in caring for children, sometimes in being a Sunday school teacher or babysitting and whatnot, where they, the kids are very aware when when mom and dad are there. Yep. And it sometimes does influence their behavior. I mean, you've probably seen this as a teacher. Yes, <laughs> a lot. Mom and dad come around and all of a sudden it's like, wait, that's a different kid than I have in class every day. Yep, I, I definitely see that, especially around that context of sports that, you know, I'll see the kid in class and they're A, 
and then we get back over to the sporting event. Now they're a different child when mom and dad are watching and then mom and dad turn the corner and now they behave a little differently. They know when that eye is on them and uh, they can tell when their parents are watching or know when their parents are at least aware, uh, whether it's through another set of eyeballs or not. Uh, they know when their parents are aware and it makes a big difference. You were um, you were talking about education, and I read something a while ago, and you probably know more about this since you're in education, but it's very fascinating to see how even education has changed where it used to be more geared towards um, boys, because like you said, I mean, it's not, it's not true across, across the board, but boys tend to learn a little differently than girls, and, and there can be some overlap there. But then um, it's actually now more geared towards girls. And isn't that interesting how our society has changed? I'm sure it has something to do with the feminist movement. It does. And, and some of that was a needed corrective. Uh, but there are some places where it goes definitely too far. Uh, and, and in a building with a male administrator, that does help. Uh, it, it, I'm not sure... I haven't been in a in a in an elementary building full time enough with a female administrator and no other male teachers because I mean it, I've been in one building for that but I was there two days a week and it, it was only there for one year so it wasn't really enough for me to get a feel for it uh, but in in the situation where I am uh, there's definitely a difference in how discipline is dealt with. And there's and I and I don't want to say that in a negative or a positive way. It's just a different approach, mm-hmm. and the conversation is different. The tone of voice is different, um, and and there's a difference in when I go to my full voice and speak loudly. There is a different reaction from the students than when a female raises and comes to her, her full voice, uh, and even if that's an e- equal intensity person or even someone even more intense than me uh, who who goes to their full teacher voice uh, there is a difference in reaction in the students and I, I can't explain it I it's not because I have any more uh, discipline ability in fact I would argue the opposite because that's not one of my best things in the classroom uh, my ADD kind of helps me get distracted along with the kids so if they try to take a little rabbit trail I go right along with them And so I have a hard time staying on topic sometimes and on task, but, you know, even, even in those, uh, corrective situations, my voice is hurt. You can tell from the child's reaction that a voice is heard differently. And, uh, it is interesting. Um, I, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure that's a result of the fall. I think that is just human nature. And how we're created. I think that's one of the remnants of the original creation that that we can hold on to. That man and woman are made to be uh, not opposites, because I think some folks take it to mean opposites. I mean, you remember back in the '90s, it was the the men are from Mars, women are from Venus phenomenon, where they were literally talking about man and woman being opposites. And I'm not sure it's opposites, and I, that's where I really like the language of complementarianism to where men and women are to complement each other in the marriage and the home uh, and without even bringing that into the church just in the home and and within family units even uh, if you think of the extended family there is a of uh, a, a it's not necessarily a filling up of what is lacking as much as it is two pieces of a jigsaw puzzle that come together to make a whole and they, they complement each other rather than one being the dominant piece and the other supplementing and just kind of getting you the rest of the way, you know, you eat your, eat your regular meal. You take the vitamin to supplement to, to get those last couple of things you missed, but it's not your primary diet. Those two things are not equal. Uh, your, your vitamin is not equal to your regular diet and it shouldn't be what it should be is meat and potatoes versus regular vegetables and fruits. Those are both equally vital and important. Without one or the other, you're not going to thrive. Uh, you'd be off balance. You would have an, an, an out-of-whack diet, and that causes health problems. And and not having that balance, uh, and I'm not talking like a yin and yang, good and bad. That That's not what I'm meaning. 
that that it's a it's a it's really a lot like a jigsaw puzzle. Two pieces of equal size that make a full picture together uh, is the way it's designed. And I, and I think in the family when we have those units together, it you see a thriving that is enabled. Whether it happens or not is a different discussion, but it's enabled when it's healthy. Uh, and it's so hard to get to that healthy and, and the fall in so many ways messes with how we relate to one another inside of those units. And in, in, you know, Genesis three messes with how we work together, uh, even as friends in a, in a, in a mixed gender situation. Yeah. Um, one of the things we've talked about in the podcast, it might be a good place to throw it in there is um genesis 3 16 mm-hmm. which um talks about um is you know god had first been kind of handing out curses and but then he says um you know your desire shall be for your husband and he will rule over you and some people may not know this so ryan and i did not discuss this ahead of time so we may actually disagree on this i don't know but and it's something that i didn't study until a couple of years ago but in the 1970s is when a new view came about and about Genesis 3.16. And this woman came out and she said, what I think it means is, and this is right at the kind of height of um, another wave of feminism mm-hmm. that that's happening. And so that's when she came up with, I think it means that, you know, and he will rule over her. It, it That means that she will try to usurp his authority. And um, it's actually been in the last several years that a lot of people have gone back and I've read Calvin on it and Matthew Henry and and whatnot that I, I don't think that's actually what it means. But I think that um, how you see Genesis 3.16 may play into what things that you see flawed between male and female. Um, and I and one of those things is this and is whether or not uh, and this is a this is a view from the church that is going to play into how, how we function in society. And that is um, based on that view. And then based on some other views that some people think that there's a sense in which all men um, are, have authority over all women, just because they're men and women. I, I don't believe that personally. Um, but anyway, so how, how you approach this as a Christian is going to play into how you think that this should play out in society and what negative things are the result of the fall. This came into the conversations when because there was two things, and, and you've probably seen this in the last couple of years, that have really come to the forefront in these male-female discussions. And we, we know that we have the, the home and we know that we have the church, but it's these two things that really play into what we believe about men and women in society. And one of them is how we interpret Genesis 3.16. And the other one is that some people believe in um, eternal subordination of the son. So they, they believe that Christ is ontologically subordinate to the father instead of um, he's in what we do confess that he is, um, that he was subordinate in the incarnation and in his um, earthly ministry, but not ontologically subordinate. But what you believe about both of these things is going to influence how you believe society should rightly function with men and women. Yes. And, and that's where I struggle with, because I've lived in the worlds I've lived and I've experienced uh, the world of music and the world of the arts, and I've experienced the educational uh, system and and a place where I am the minority in in the adult life, uh, in there in the in the schools and even in churches to a great degree, uh, even in my own church. Um, o- over the historical time that I've been there, we are one of the more balanced churches I've seen in terms of sheer numbers, but much of the I don't want to say the energy of the church, but much of the the uh, focus of hmm, trying to say it fairly and not because I don't mean it the way it's going to sound. But much of the focus of the work of the church seems to be in the hands of females uh, through the teaching of kids and through 
VBS and through some of the other activities we do, it seems like a lot of those that are present and that are doing work are females and that some of the men are less present. And we have a lot of, of, of married women who come to church without their husbands because their husbands don't come to church. Uh, and that's, that's a grievous thing to me. And it hurts to watch that wife struggle against the, the idea that, that she's a believer and her husband isn't. And I, I've, I've seen several that, that have fought against that. And, and it's, it is a difficult thing. And, and that interpretation of, of Genesis 316 to, to take and that, you know, that he will rule over you is the way the CSB puts it. I don't remember which, what you read was the ESV. Is that right? Yeah. Well, and that is one of the controversies is the ESV has, um, has, has retranslated that and translated it, at least in one of the versions, has translated in a way that really isn't consistent with what was, what was in the original it? language. In fact, I can re- let me read a couple of other versions because okay. that there's been a big controversy because people believe that the ESV was translated that way to fit their narrative. Mm-hmm. And so um, New American Standard, which I use, a lot um, is to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and pain. You will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. So I think rule over you is in, is in um, almost every translation. I find it interesting. I have, I have the Geneva Bible on my phone in one of the apps I've got. And it says unto the woman, he said, I will greatly increase thy sorrows and thy conceptions. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be subject to thine husband, and he shall rule over thee. So if you look at, so that in the ESV, and this this kind of, they, they kind of change one thing that, um, so it said your, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Mm-hmm. Then they changed it to your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Ah, got it. And so that, That's that changes the entire meaning. And um, I tell people, if you, if you see what, what I did, um, a friend of mine, did, we went back and looked at the really old commentary to Calvin. We looked at Matthew Henry and, and some old, and so it was interesting to read that because a lot of us grew up with interpretation, at least I'm in my mid forties. And so I was born in the early 1970s. And so I always heard this, um, this, you know, that what it means is your desire will be to usurp his authority. And so now the ESV, if it's translating it, your desire should be contrary to your husband. They're actually translating their doctrine into the text. Bishop's Bible has the second half of that. Uh, thy desire, and then they have shall be in brackets. Uh, thy desire shall be to thy husband. So the desire shall be to your husband, which is an interesting difference. And he shall have the rule of thee, uh, is the way that words it. So that's a, even a slightly different answer than what the Geneva gives from around the same ballpark uh, of time. Uh, and it's it, that whole idea of setting in conflict intentionally inside the marriage um, is really interesting. And it, what really confuses me is that that is a curse that is given as a result of sin. And yet there are some who try to maintain that curse. Well, is it part of in the, the curse, church? though? And, well, and that's the, right. I mean, it, and it's, that's, that's one of the debates, too, because it comes kind of after that. Right. Well, it's in that um, it's in the flow it, of that and, and in the outflow of it. Um, it's, it's just interesting that that you would take that and t- and and as a in part of the God disciplining Adam and Eve and the serpent in the, in, in speaking to them, the results of the actions. Why would we keep that as a rule of life? Once we become renewed, it's interesting to me why we would keep that. And I, and I, I'm not because there's things in the new Testament that set up different stances within the church. That's not where I'm looking. Um, and I, and even in the new Testament in terms of how husband and wife are supposed to, uh, relate to each other. Uh, I think about the Ephesians passages 
specifically and and it's it's so clear the matter of one is supposed to serve the other and the other is supposed to die for the other uh, the, the, how is how is it that the man is more equal as uh, as we have from popular literature you know they're both made equal but man seems to be made more equal in a lot of the circumstances that uh, some folks argue from and what bothers me is they call that complementarianism when they're trying to make the man more equal than the woman you know what might be interesting to throw into here since we're talking about society and how these things play out into society is some of the ways that things have changed um, because of the feminist movement. And one of the interesting things, and I think even Christians response to it. So one of the things would be a woman working outside the home right now. There's um, there's some Christians who think it is absolutely wrong for any reason whatsoever for a woman to work outside the home if she has children. And I find this so interesting for this reason. My grandmother was born in 1920. And my grandmother almost always worked outside the home. And my grandparents were very conservative Christians. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to see in society, this kind of is the church and Christians in society and how we we function where sometimes we're reactionary. So we had kind of the 1950s and, you know, women staying home and vacuuming in their high heels and whatnot. And then kind of this feminist movement coming up in the 1970s and, and eighties and women going back to work, but in, and there's probably extremes there that were not great for society overall. Yes. You know, the eighties, you had latchkey kids and, and things like that. Um, but it's interesting now watching some of the church's response to this, where it's almost, we almost tend to sometimes we overcorrect, you know? Yes. Yes. So since we think it was bad for kids that both parents, you know, that kids were coming home and letting themselves in and had the latchkey kids. Now we're just going to say, we think it's completely wrong for a woman to ever work, you know, and you get these extremes that really, you know, that wasn't a thing to my grandparents who were born in 1920 that you would, and very concerned. My grandfather was a pastor. My grandparents were missionaries in Venezuela and, you know, and they would have never said it's wrong for a woman to work outside the home. And and I think as you go back into uh, other contexts and other historical time periods, uh, it was expected that the woman would be a part of the man's trade in certain ways. And it would be the family trade. Um, and, and as the, you know, especially I think because I've done a little bit of research on it, not, not deep, deep, hard research, but uh, in the life of a printer, if you were running a, a printing press, every it was all hands on deck. Uh, everybody was part of the process, and if you had a spare hand and it was needed, you came and helped the printer. And you know, I think about my grandparents who operated a, a family farm in eastern Kentucky, and in, in you know, it's if far enough up in the hills. The joke that I use with the students so they understand what the hills are like in eastern Kentucky, because in southern Indiana we don't have anything like this, but. And it was almost this way that you lost an hour of daylight because the mountains were so high on either side that the sun didn't come up over the side of the mountain for an extra half an hour. You know, you had twilight for an extra half an hour at the end of the day and you had the, the, the morning, the dawning lasted a half an hour extra long because the sun just never made it up over the top of the mountain. And you know, they were in the, in, in a floodplain and, you know, just operating the farm took both parents and all eight kids all year round. And in the winter time, sometimes when they could handle it, uh, once the kids were a certain age, my grandfather would go out and be a traveling carpenter during the winter. But at the same time, they were operating the whole farm together. The husband didn't leave the house either. Both of them worked in the home. Um, we were talking earlier, I live really close to uh, the Abraham Lincoln childhood home. Uh, when he was a boy. So in Indiana, Southern Indiana, so he moves born in Western Kentucky, moves to Southern Indiana, grows up here. And then eventually as an adult moves to Illinois. Well, while he was here, they lived and worked on the farm. And Abraham was the one who worked out of the house. The kid worked out the house, not the dad, not the mom. The dad would travel and go to sale to sell things. Uh, But that's the way a lot of the farms worked. It wasn't a matter of, 
of, you know, working inside versus outside the home wasn't really considered anything. Uh, and even you look at uh, famous families in American history, uh, if you if you think of the Adams family with with Abigail and John, yeah, John was traveling all over the place. And yes, she did tend to the children much of the time. But at one point, one of the boys traveled, you know, John Quincy traveled with John Adams for much of his teenage years all the way around the world as the son of an ambassador. And that's how he got to know so many languages. So he ended up being secretary of state later because he had all the training that nobody else had. Uh, and But that was because he was apprenticing with his father to learn the family business, which was the law and international relations was kind of where they were at that point. And so, you know, you, the idea of of that the woman was entirely responsible for the upbringing of the, the children would have been foreign to that conception of raising and, and having a home, the husband was just as much involved in teaching the trade and teaching how to be an adult and teaching how to function. Uh, and in a lot of ways, teaching just different things than what the mother is teaching. And, it, you know, we have a very uh, literacized American idea of how all this works as to who teaches uh, how to read and those types of things, because that, again, is not something that necessarily... Uh, was scripted by who was uh, in the home because both were working in and around the home. And a lot of the learning, a lot of the schooling that happened before the public school movement in, in America was done at night after the homework, after the housework was done. So they would work during the daylight and then at night they'd come in and, you know, we didn't, they didn't have electricity at the time. So a lot of the schooling, learning how to read, learning how to write, that was done after dinner before bed. Uh, it's just a very different approach than what we could even wrap our heads around in a modern context, because we are in the, in the context of public schooling and we think of school that happens in this set amount of time. Uh, how many of, I, I can, I think about the different homeschool families I know of, and most of them arrange their day around kind of the school calendar and the school hours um, which is just interesting to me. Uh, it's it's a it's not wrong. It's just interesting from a historical context how that functions and and how we work today is diametrically different than 200 years ago. I mean, it's just a totally different workforce. Yeah, well, I can't even, figure out how even gender 100, works. You know, <laughs> how does gender even work? even a hundred years ago? Because as you're talking about your grandparents' family farm. Yeah. My great-grandparents had nine children. They got mm -hmm. married, I think, around 1912 or something. Mm -hmm. And the, and they had a farm also. And interesting, in the town that they were in, you know, the farm across the way is, is grandpa's cousin. Mm -hmm. And over there is, you know, uncle. And, yes. you know, it's like the half the town is their family. But they had nine kids, and it's exactly how you described. I mean, this was a family business. My grandmother said... She was seven years old when she learned to put corn into the sacks mm -hmm. for sale. And and it was just very different. And my grandmother had a wet nurse. You know, yes. people, if, if I said today in some of these circles where they think these things, like I have a wet nurse, they'd probably think I was crazy. They would think and, that you were you know, off and your someone... locker. You were giving up your motherly <laughs> and maternal right. Right. Ex exactly. And, you know, my grandmother, she, she would make, the lunch for um, all of the, the farm hands mm -hmm. and they'd have this big meal at lunch. And so she needed someone to help with the kids. You know, we'd call that a nanny today. They didn't call it that then. Okay. And that very strong Christian conservative family. And it, it's just interesting how I think in reaction to some maybe not great things of how we functioned in in life in general, that people have come up with these things that they're trying to say, this is the black and white way that you must do things, you know, like yes. schooling, you know, mm -hmm. um, I homeschooled and then I put my kids in school and you would never believe some of the awful, horrible things people have said to me about that. Uh, and, I've... you know, <laughs> you'd believe a... it. You'd probably believe it. You're on Twitter. You'd believe anything. Well, <laughs> exactly. Well, I've had those things said to me as well. Uh, as a public school teacher, I've been called all sorts of interesting things uh, from folks within the church 
you know, that you, you hear that, you know, well, for one, I'm, a, I'm an arm of the state and I'm indoctrinating children into the way of the world, which is really funny because, you know, I'm a deacon and, and you know, I'm half I'm responsible to God for holding on to the mystery of the faith with a clean conscience. I'm responsible for that. Uh, and, and for my work in the church as a deacon, that's, that's, you know, I made an oath to God about that. How in the world am I going to be part of indoctrinating the children in terms of worldliness? I, I, I don't teach in a subject where I deal with evolution. I don't teach You know, I do teach music. There's some really interesting things in music history that are exactly counter to the church. Knowing that something happened does not mean that I'm endorsing what happened. And I make that clear no matter what I'm studying. If I'm studying U.S. history, I can tell you what George Washington said and what John Adams said and what they meant, but I don't have to tell you what I, my opinion is of it. Uh, and, and I can also tell you my opinion of it in how I present it or how you ask questions of me of what I think and how I answer. Uh, and, and very similarly with how we deal with gender constructs and in, in, in deal with how it works out in our current culture. Uh, you're, you're, I think you're exactly right in that we swing wildly uh, and react. Uh, it's in, and Twitter demonstrates this in absolutely, um, oh, it's, it's I, I guess abject terms would probably be the best way of wording it, in that something comes up and you want to argue that, that B is wrong. Now, I hold A, but B is wrong. But because B is wrong, I've got to instead now move to M and say that M is now my point because I want to be as far away from B as I can get without being Z. Um, and, and so we move our place. We move, we argue from further than we believe so that we can draw a bigger contrast to what it is that we don't believe. And because we do that, 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 that dragging of, of positions, that's where we get the extremities that we have right now. Because as I'm reacting to somebody who's holding that over there and I move further in the other direction, now they're going to do the same thing as well. And we end up yelling at each other from six miles apart and nobody hears anything because we're too far away. And we just talk yelling past each other. Um, I, I actually interesting the, that I tweeted this this morning. It had nothing to do with this conversation in general. Uh, it was just a general statement about Twitter because of some things I had said or had seen. I said, if we stand on the rock and think using the rock as a biblical term, you know, if we stand on Christ, the rock, we have no need of changing our position to create a distinction from culture. We have no need of reaction. Stand your ground. Hold fast to the rock. And I think so often uh, in these particular discussions, some folks want to run to the perceived history of America as it's been passed down, especially from the political right. And they want to own that into the church and drag it to the church where uh, if you were to go back into the church, um, especially let's say we went to the British church of, of the, the just immediate post reformation. So we take the 1600s, 1700s. We're not that far past the reformation. We still have a strong church uh, in many different strong churches and you look at how men and women interact in that culture. And then you look at 1940s, 50s through even the 80s and 90s in America. And you see to two totally different worlds. And some of that is because of culture. And so we changed our behavior because of our culture. And then in trying to recover what was, we swing wildly in another direction. So as you know, or overcompensate so as to create a distinctive when we really don't have to just being us, just, just doing it the way that scripture says is distinctive enough that we don't have to exaggerate the distinction just to create it. Uh, and I, and I think a lot of the patriarchal end of what you see in some, especially, uh, they call themselves conservative. I'm not sure that's the right word, theological word, uh, from a political standpoint, I think, uh, conservative might be the right word ish. Um, but in terms of theology, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call uh, a patriarchal home conservative at all. I mean, to me, that's not even close, uh, because they are abandoning the new Testament instructions to a husband to love your wife. Um, if you're loving your wife, you're not subjecting your wife. 
those it's really clear. Now, does your wife submit to you is another discussion. Submit and subject are two different words and we, we cross them up so often. Um, it, it, you know, she is subject to you in the old Testament, in the new Testament, we stand on e equal ground before the cross, but she submits because of the pattern of creation. Uh, and that's where one, pl that's one place, as far as that goes, I can live with what the ESS folks are saying in terms of how that plays into complementation. But when they take it and they go from complementation and now they shove that into the Trinity, that is a step way beyond I can live with because the Trinity is the Trinity equal in all parts. You know, if God, the father is greater than because of a nature of being the son or the Holy spirit, then the doctrine of the Trinity cannot stand. It just cannot stand. And when you do that, now you've thrown off the entire scripture because it is built on those Trinitarian truths. Uh, and, and it, it's really odd to me. And I've, I, I'm not the polished and, and uh, degreed theologian that some of the folks that are arguing it are. And I haven't had the, the Bible college training. I went to music school. I've got a master's in education, uh, which allows me uh, uh, an ability to analyze, but I don't have the, the technical background. But at the same time, I can see that if we're going to hold the Trinity as the Trinity, they need to be ontologically, if there are one and yet three, but one is bigger than the other two in that three, we got a problem because it's not a true Trinity at that point. One cannot be in the Trinity. One cannot be more equal than the other. And that's uh, when we take that and throw that then into back into the home and to make the husband the God figure in the home um, that that creates an idolatry of the male, which is an exact opposite error to the idolatry of the female of feminist society. And that is a swing that we dare not make because it's making the error that they're making for the reason they're saying they're making the error. We're proving true their argument. Whereas if we were to simply say, no, equal means equal, but the man has this role and the woman has this role and they mutually agree to submit to each other within those roles. Even there are places where I am called to submit to my wife because it's for her good and God's glory. And I'm to allow her to do those things because it's the right thing to do. Not because she's sub overruling me or she's having some sort of power over me. That's not what it is. It's, I see that she would flourish as a spiritual being, as a Christian in her walk with Christ and in her ministry to those around her, if she's not inside the house all day, my wife is not of a personality to be able to survive in the house. She was home for maternity leave for six weeks. And at the end of six weeks, she said, I've got to get back to work because her brain did not handle the downtime. She just was not ready for that downtime. And she, she's used to the day of teaching French at school with middle schoolers and the hustle and bustle. And she was having a hard time staying focused at home to take care of our son the way he needed to, because she just couldn't function with that particular schedule. And it's, it's a big difference, you know, in, in culturally, you know, the idea, the idea of having a wet nurse and a nanny and, and those different roles, our current society thinks that's only for a subset of, you know, the absolute richest. And we, and usually that's sneered at from my point of view. And I think really at the end of the day, the, the thing that we have to remember is to not allow ourselves to live in reaction to mm -hmm. errors, because if we just live in reaction to errors, we usually end up with another error. That's exactly. And correct. so we really have to stand back and go back to the word of God. Mm -hmm. There are some things that scripture does not spell out for us that I think are a matter of liberty. Um, I'll, I'll give a really like maybe silly example, but I think it'll make my point. Scripture doesn't tell you, Ryan, what job you must do. Correct. You have some, you had liberty on what to major in and in college, um, what sort of career to pursue. Mm -hmm. And, but I think that there's also things within men and women and how we function in society and how we function 
in um, the home, that that there is some some liberty there. Yep. And and I think you know there are a list of theologians that are certainly more studied than me who would say that a woman can never be a man's boss, and that just strikes me as really weird. Um, because, uh-huh. <laughs> and here's, and here's the thing that they are, they will not go to, but the queen of Israel would have been the boss of the house of the king. And so the male servants of the king would have to answer to the queen because she's the queen. And so explain to me then how it is that no male can ever have a boss that's female. If that is the, if that's the system if you're going to play by their rules, now we have a problem because that's the way it's set up. Uh, and that would be something that would be true throughout much of history. I mean, if you look at human history, that's a, a truth that goes a long way. Um, and, and functionally, it just makes no sense. Um, now, inside the home, man and wife are to work together to the good of the home. They're to do the 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 work of being fruitful in their lives as a, as a couple and finding ways that each of them are the most fruitful they can, they can be for the glory of God. And, uh, if you, if, if I, and this is where I, I get, I get really upset because my wife is demonstratively more intelligent than I am. So I can like show you the test scores. I think differently than she does. So in certain circumstances, I can outthink her. But when it comes to sheer knowledge and ability to marshal knowledge, she's got me beat. And I'm, I'm perfectly okay, say, okay, okay with that. There are ways that I outthink her because of training and because of workarounds that I've figured out. Uh, but we work together in, in, and are able to accomplish tasks together that outstrip both of us because I have this set of skills. She has that set of skills. And I think this is where my music training really plays in because, you know, if I am a really, 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 really good tuba player and I'm a pretty fair tuba player, but I'm not able to play the melody because the melody is written for the flute player. Well, that flute player and I are working together to make that piece of music work. We are working to, produce a really good sound and as a bass player in church you know i'm working with the guitar player and the piano player and if we're all three working together there's times where i need to back up and there's times when i need to step forward there's times when the piano player needs to back up and step forward and our relationships the way we're built and and the way the husband wife relationships should really be a lot like that we're we're both performing together the tasks of a couple for the glory of God, because we have been joined together. What's the, the line they use? What God has put together? Well, if God's put us together, we are to work for God's glory because he's put us together. That's that's the purpose here. And so if if I'm if I'm putting and in, in stultifying her ability to function, that is me stepping on God, putting her in that ability level. She's given those skills for a reason. And so now how do we use those skills? So she's able to work in a school and have a Christian witness in a school where there isn't a ton of Christian witness. There is some, there are several teachers that believe, but there are just as many that don't, but she's able to, because she lives the way she does, because she reacts the way she does, because she uh, speaks the way she does, the students ask her really good questions and it's middle school. So they always ask really good questions. And she's able, because they ask, she's able to say, well, it's because of my faith. And they'll ask her questions about creation. They'll ask her questions about all sorts of crazy things. She gets to talk about the, the Tower of Babel in her class because they ask about why do we have all the languages? And her answer is, well, history says this, and I have a different opinion. And I have an opinion, but this is history. And they'll ask, okay, what's your opinion? Well, now she can tell them whatever she wants because they asked for it. And so she does. And that is a way that we can witness outside of our home that we could never do if she was a housewife. And so me keeping her at home is actually stopping the mission of the word getting out. And I have a hard time with that. Now there are some mothers that I know that are truly called to be 
house mothers, and they're, they are built for that. And their ability to nurture and bring up a child is very different. And that's okay. God gifts us all differently. What, what are all the passages in Corinthians about with the gifts and, and elsewhere? That's not the only place, but you know, uh, Ephesians have, has a little bit of that even as well. You know, we have all these different gifts. Why? To make the body work. One is an ear, one is a foot. If that holds true, but both are equally vital, well, then both are equally vital, right? <laughs> At least it seems that way to me. Maybe I'm, I'm overreading things. I wasn't sure what to say in response. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. It, I mean, it's, am I overreading things in, in taking the idea of, you know, if God is making the body of Christ to operate as equal parts to different jobs, isn't that the same way that a, a body, a husband and wife body that are made one flesh by God, isn't that a similar idea? It seems to me as, as a parallel. Yeah, you know, and what's interesting, too, is uh, we have some some good friends that got married around the same time that we did. And um, every married couple is different, too. But in in yes. these friends relationship, he is a little bit more like me and she's a little bit more like my husband. And so they function differently in their marriage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's the one that's more more apt to run to rescue his child if they're hurt, where I'm the one that does that in our house. And so you even see within different marriage relationships, how you and your wife function and, and work together and make things work is going to be different than my husband and I do. And, and I think and, and that's okay. It's, right? Not only is it okay, I think it's the way it's designed because if, if my wife and I are supposed to operate like two people whose personalities are very different than ours and giftings are very different than ours, then somebody's not going to be working in their giftings and we are, we are responsible for using our talents well, uh, in a literal way, uh, from a, from a, uh, a godly perspective. If you think about the parable of the talents, we are responsible for our talents and our gifts. We're responsible for how God has set us up in the world and to use those to the glory of God, um, and, and to, magnify his name in doing what we're built to do. Uh, I, I, in our ha family, I am too distracted and too distractible to keep track of the checkbook. I'm just not built for it and that's okay. And my grandfather was the exact opposite. He was the most buttoned up down to, I mean, his budgeting, he, he could do his budgeting in his head. And I can, no, no, sorry. I use round numbers way too often to be able to do that. And, <laughs> and, you know, and that's okay. That's how I function. But my wife has the ability to do that and keep up with it. And when it comes to a stressful moment, okay, I can take it for a little while and I can take the pressure off and then we can hand it back. And it, we've done that once or twice, but at the same time, this is an, we, we came to that agreement before we got married, that this is where my strength is. My strength, I love to cook and to cook dinner. And I actually happen to be at home right now, the way our work schedule works out to where I can do that. And it works really well. And there are things that she does that, you know, my job is to empty the dishwasher. Her job is to fill the dishwasher. We've negotiated that because it's, it's how we function best around how the house operates and how we operate. And there's so many families that try to shoehorn themselves into being what society tells them to be rather than finding out how they're gifted and setting their home up to fit who they are. And I, I've seen families, I've seen wives crushed is really the best word crushed by the weight of expectation from other women to where they cannot function in the church, in the home or in society, any of the three because of those expectations. And that is not honoring to God, no matter what crushing someone else's giftings is not honoring to God. If it's a God honoring gifting. And I th think even patience where we might fall short yes. sometimes too. Um, yes. You know, when sometimes when you get married, 
You marry somebody, maybe you're somebody who loves to be on time and your spouse maybe not used to doesn't that love much. to be on time. Well, I that's <laughs> um, you know, I grew up in the in a family where to be early was to be on time and to be late is to be dead. Uh, and so for me, you know, five minutes if if I'm less than five minutes early, I start getting antsy. And my wife grew yeah, up in a place where they knew exactly how long it took to get from their house to anywhere else with a one minute margin of error because the only thing that's gonna get in the way is Farmer John with his tractor or a cow. And I didn't grow up with that. I grew up with stoplights and you know, you had to plan fifteen minutes extra because you didn't know how many lights you were gonna hit. Yeah, and but I think the Lord does that just maybe for our sanctification. Mm-hmm. You know? You <laughs> might have what one person who's a neat freak and one person who doesn't mind some clutter. Yeah. Or, or in some cases, both don't mind be. clutter. <laughs> so, and, go ahead. Oh, no. Or, or collect it, like me. I, I do keep my clutter in, like, corners and stuff, at least, you know. <laughs> I keep everything. Like I say about my husband and I, he likes, he, my husband's life motto is a place for everything and everything in its place. And he just, he can't even function unless everything's in its place. But now I... I might not have everything quite that organized, but I'm obsessive about things being clean. And so he's he's obsessed about things being picked up. I'm obsessive about things being clean. So we could potentially drive each other crazy, I guess. You know, so I need to clean the bathrooms twice a week and and vacuum and dust a lot and stuff like that. And he wouldn't notice any dust. And you know, but the, at the end of the day, we've we've learned to be patient with one another where the other one may fall short. Mm-hmm but then work together so that together we function better. Thank you for listening to this episode of Simmering Thoughts. You can join the conversation by emailing us at simmeringthoughts at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Simmer Thoughts, where we have a page and a discussion group. We'd love to hear from you there. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Simmer Thoughts. You can find past episodes of Simmering Thoughts on a variety of podcast catchers, including iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share Simmering Thoughts with your friends. We hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of Simmering Thoughts.